Welcome to Life-Giving Water Messages, where I expound upon the Word of God and through the internet deliver it to you. Today's message is uh, entitled In Paradise, based off of Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. That's Luke chapter 23, verses 33 through 43. So, let us dive into the Word today. When they came to a place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself if he really is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us, too, while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Amen. We often seek a life of luxury and perpetual contentment. However, a lowly criminal on a cross shows us today that the location of the entrance door in paradise comes through humble faith. I came across a story in the devotional, quite popular devotional, The Daily Bread, that truly fascinated me. It went something like this. A truly humble and faithful person is hard to find, yet God exalts such people. So let's look at the famous black educator, Booker T. Washington. Not long after he became the president of Tuskegee Institute in Alabama, he was walking during the Jim Crow era, mind you, through a section of town that was exclusively for white folks. As such, he was stopped by a white woman. Not knowing the famous Mr. Washington by sight, uh, she assumed he was just a black guy and she asked if he would like to earn a few dollars by chopping wood for her. Now, <laughs> I want you to feel the racism here. The devotion glossed over this, but it is important we don't. The devotion writes this as if it is merely, as if it's a merely innocent mistaking of identity and a simple request for help. And it refers to the part of town he was in as an exclusive part of town. That's really a whitewashed way of saying he was black and on the wrong side of the street or in the wrong part of town, he might just find himself lynched in. Let's be honest, in the Jim Crow era South, there was no innocence when it came to the way black people were treated. This was a white woman approaching a black man on the wrong side of town where he, a black man, should not be. Was she mean toward him? No, not necessarily. But it must be understood how this would have affected Dr. Washington for the story to truly 
have the power it does. And notice that the story even relates to him as Mr. Washington when he is a professor at a uh, at an institute, you know, so he would have been more educated than just Mr. Anyway, knowing all of that, despite the racial slight and because he had no pressing business at the moment, Professor Washington smiled, rolled up his sleeves, and proceeded to help her out as requested. When he was finished, he carried the lugs into the house and stacked them by the fireplace, and he was recognized by a girl who later told the lady who he was. The next morning, the embarrassed woman went to see Dr. Washington in his office at the Institute and apologized profusely. "'It's perfectly all right, madam,' he replied." Occasionally, I enjoy a little manual labor. Besides, it's always a delight to do something for a friend. She shook his hand warmly and assured him that his meek and gracious attitude had endeared him and his work to her heart. Not long afterward, she showed her admiration by persuading some rich friends to join her in donating thousands of dollars to the Tuskegee, Tuskegee Institute. But it wasn't so much his gracious it wasn't so much his gracious or meek service in chopping the wood, but rather his gracious and meek reception of her after she had asked him to do what she asked him to do. And it didn't bother him to do it, but the implications are all there. So I also hope that her inner bias, exposed as it was on that day, began to dissipate and cease to be. Let's hope. It is easy to think that God is cool with us even when we are not truly cool with God. You know what I mean? We think we have one up on God and that we can fool God into thinking that we are somehow true believers even while we really are mocking God by our insincerity of heart. Again, with the story I just shared, no doubt this woman saw herself as a good Southern Christian woman, as a lover and follower of Jesus. And yet... In the moment she ran into a black man in the wrong part of town, she sought to pay him a few bucks and put him in his place. Whether that was her conscience, conscious intent, intent or subconscious inner bias, we can't judge her heart. But given her willingness to change tells me that she was a true believer. She realized that what she did was wrong. And when her sin was exposed, she repented and sought to reconcile and support the Institute. That's the real miracle of the story. Friends, we either believe in God, or we are people who merely say we do. There is no in-between there. We either have the humility to recognize our need for Jesus and have faith in him to save us, or we are just blowing smoke into a mirror. And God is not fooled as God sees past the smoke and mirrors and directly into our hearts. In today's passage, we have one of the most memorable scenes in the collective crucifixion accounts found in the Gospels. Here we have Jesus, who has just been crucified, being by mocked by the religious leaders and onlookers the soldiers are handing him sour sour juice and we know from other stories they're gambling to win the, his robe as a prize and you can just imagine the tragic horror of the scene as our lord and savior was dying a torturous horrifying death but today's scripture turns its attention from the ones on the ground 
and focuses in on the two men on either side crucified along with Jesus. In verse 39, we're introduced to the first of the two criminals crucified next to Jesus. This particular criminal asks for salvation. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. That last part, make no mistake, is asking for Jesus to save him and the other guy. But, and there is a big but here, he does it cynically, sarcastically. He speaks in a way that mocks and tests Jesus rather than seeing his own situation in a mirror. The second criminal, according to the New Living Translation, protested to what the other criminal was saying. In Greek, the word used is actually epitimo, epitimo, which means rebuke. Normally, in the scriptures, Jesus does the rebuking. But in this particular passage, it's the penitent criminal who does. In verses 40 through 41, this criminal rebukes the mocking criminal by saying, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Here, Unlike the other guy, this criminal realizes that they have been justly charged for their crimes and deserve, at least under the weight of Roman law, to die. But Jesus was wrongly accused of insurrection. He didn't commit the crime he was accused of and he didn't deserve the punishment. Now I want to pause here. Both men ask for salvation. The mocking criminal does so in a way that betrays his lack of faith in Christ. Remember, he said, So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. He's testing Jesus and hoping that if Jesus is who he says he is, he might avoid death, physical death. He's seeking a way off the cross. He's seeking a way off the cross. The penitent criminal, on the other hand, doesn't demand salvation as a way to test Jesus. Instead, he rebukes the sinner's mockery, acknowledges his own guilt and sin, and humbly asks Jesus to remember him in his kingdom. Luke 23, verse 42, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. And he called Jesus out by name, Jesus. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The mocking criminal, ironically, is the one trying to save his own life, while the penitent criminal has denied his own life, picked up his cross, so to speak, and chose to follow Jesus, which is exactly what Jesus tells us in Scripture we need to do if we're going to be his disciple. Wow. Bold faith and humility. Bold faith? How? Because he rebuked wrongdoing as Jesus taught his disciples to do. In Luke 17, verse 3, Jesus said, So watch yourselves. If another sinner, if another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then, if there is repentance, forgive. Why did he do that? Because he believed in who Jesus claimed himself to be, and he could not stand for the mocking of God. And he did it to correct the sinning criminal out of love, with the hope he would see how wrong he is. Yes, the faith was bold. 
And we can all see the humility, no? He realized he was a criminal and a sinner, and he also realized he was dying side by side with the Son of the living God, who was sinless and deserving of worship, not death. So let me ask you this. Who did Jesus respond to? He responded to the penitent criminal because he was the one who was inviting Jesus into his heart. He was the one who seriously knew Jesus was the Lamb of God, Savior of the world. He didn't have the benefit of all Jesus' teachings like the disciples, but he saw who Jesus was in that moment, in that place. And he opened his heart to him. And what did Jesus say to the penitent criminal? Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. In Greek, in Greek, the word for paradise is paradisos, paradisos, which literally means, uh, which literally translates to garden. But in the Greek compilation of Jewish scriptures and in the Greek-speaking Jewish theology, it became understood as heaven, understood as a protected walled garden full of delightful delicacies. So what was Jesus alluding to you? I assure you, or as it is more traditionally translated, I, amen, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in heaven, feasting with me on all that eternity has to offer. What power in Jesus' words. What assurance he gives this poor, wretched criminal who realizes he's messed up, that he needs Jesus to at least remember him. And Jesus' response, not only will I remember you, but you will be honored along with me today in God's heavenly garden. Now notice, again, both men are seeking salvation, but the one who was fake, who was testing God, mocking God by his very plea for salvation, he was not even looked at, let alone responded to. He had, in that moment, chosen to exclude himself from paradise, which was offered freely to him of his, if his proud heart would have allowed. On the other hand, the humble one, who corrected the wrongdoing and sought to be remembered by Jesus, ended up inheriting eternal life. Those of you who try to save your life will lose it, but those of you who lose your, safe for, you lose your life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will inherit eternal life. This is Jesus fulfilling exactly what he promised in his teachings. Friends, which are you? Are you the one who claims faith in God, but really you are cynical and doubtful and testing of God, prove it or else? Or are you the one who recognizes and repents of any wrongdoing and humbly asks Jesus to remember you, as unworthy as you may feel? Do you cling to Jesus and put your faith in him? Or do you cling to yourself and hope, if you're wrong, God will swoop in and save you? As a congregation, as a congregation, we are called to be both humble and bold in our faith. We can pretend to be the body of Christ and only show up on Sundays and Sundays alone. We can think we're too young, too old, or too busy to serve Jesus. Yet, in case he is Lord, we'll go through the motions of Sunday morning. 
Or we can truly commit or even recommit ourselves to serving Christ in our community and beyond, recognizing that every day is Christ's day and that our lives are Christ's lives. Friends, if we continue to keep Christ front and center and follow him exclusively, as countless others before us have, there is nothing that will stop us from building up God's kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, where all are invited to live in paradise with our Lord. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we just thank you and praise you for this uh, this message which and the scripture, which we hope uh, you know is challenging us, but also inspiring us to just draw closer to you, Lord. There's very little that separates those two criminals, the one who mocked Jesus and the one who, who asked Jesus to remember him. The only difference really was their heart and where their heart was. Were they proud and uh, defiant or were they open to the fact that they needed Jesus? And that's really the only difference for any of us, Lord. Are we defiant toward you or are we receptive? And so, Lord, help us to be a receptive people who open our hearts 